We have freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's take our Bibles this morning, please, and go to Psalm number 26 this morning. Psalm 26. Appreciate the good singing today. Amen. Appreciate the good reports for the service on Wednesday night and uh, Brother Richie preaching. I appreciate uh, him preaching for us in our absence. And we did have uh, good meetings uh, where we was at this week in two different churches laboring. And we appreciate your prayers and uh, appreciate uh, uh, your uh, support with us as we travel a little bit. I'll leave tomorrow and be uh, Monday and Tuesday with Brother Jimbo Seaton, uh, their Jubilee meeting, and uh, probably be they uh, call from the floor, but being part of that meeting, and so you uh, pray for us. We'll drive in uh, late Tuesday night and uh, get things ready for here Wednesday and things of that nature. Uh, I'm excited to be busy for the Lord, and uh, I thank God for the privilege that we have to minister and to be laborers for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Psalm 26, I'll let you remain seated. I want to read all 12 verses of this psalm and uh, preach it to you this morning as the Lord leads us today. Psalm 26, a psalm of David. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. Examine, o Lord, examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes, and I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with disassemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hand is mischief and their right hand... It's full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the eternal value that we have in this scripture. Lord, this is not just a book this morning. This is the living word of God. And we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to give what you've given us to this congregation. And I pray we'd see no man save Jesus only. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I was reading this week in my personal Bible reading. I'm in the book of Psalms this week, reading through my Bible. And I've already finished the New Testament. And I'm working my way through the Old Testament for my Bible reading this year. And I come to Psalm 26 and... I guess as I begin to read it, uh, the preacher in me began to outline it, not even meaning to. I was just writing things down as I read, and when I got done, I said, hey, got me a sermon here, amen. Uh, but I'll be honest with you, something the Lord challenged me with this week, and I want to try to share it with you. The context of this psalm, we know that King David is the author. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, in his book, The Treasury of David, surmises that he believes that this psalm was written around 2 Samuel chapter 21. We won't take time to turn there, but it's in 2 Samuel 21 where David is an older man now. And he goes out to fight and that the son of the giant Ishbanab comes out with a new sword and he fought to slay David. And David, the Bible said he waxed faint. There was a man by the name of Abishai that come to David's aid and killed the giant that day on David's behalf. David is no longer the young shepherd boy. 
David's physical strength is going from him. In fact, it is to the point where Abishai and the men said, you're not going out to battle with us anymore because we don't want the light to go out in Israel. Uh, amen. You, some of you older folks need to learn how to listen to your kids when they say, okay, you're not going to do that anymore. You're too old to do that. David done it, all right, amen. Say amen, Wade, about climbing up on ladders, all right. And, and so, so we find that David's not a young man in this psalm anymore. He's got some years behind him. He's not a new Christian, if you would. He's been serving the Lord for quite many years. We find several wonderful, and the introduction will be longer than the message this morning, so don't let that nerve you, but I find several good things about David in this song. First of all, I find that David is steadfast. Look at verse number 1. He said, I judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity. I have trusted the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. That word slide there means to slip. It means to totter or to shake. In other words, David is not sliding. He is not tottering. He is not shaking, but he is steadfast in this verse. Why is he steadfast? He said, because I have trusted in the Lord. I want to remind us this morning what the psalmist said. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I tell you, the people that love you the most can let you down the quickest. But I'm right there's a friend that will never let you down. He'll never break your heart. He'll never leave you standing out in the cold, not wondering what to do. I'm telling you, thank God he is faithful and you can trust him. I'm glad it's a fire year old boy. I trusted him for my salvation and he made a difference in my life. But ain't the last time I've trusted him. I like what the songwriter said. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him, how I proved him more and more. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. I'm going to tell you, when you're trusting the Lord, you're not going to be tottering. You're not going to be shaking. You're not going to be sliding like David says this morning. In fact, we're commanded in 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be therefore steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. I believe it is the will of God for us to be steadfast in our Christian life. And David exemplifies that in verse 1 of this text. Not only is David steadfast, but I notice that David is set, S-E-T. He is set. Look at verse number 3. Watch it now. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. I have walked in thy truth. In other words, David is not wondering what direction needs to go in life. No, he's got the direction right. He said, thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. That little word loving kindness is a synonym to the word grace. And aren't you thankful that God's grace is before us? But we can look behind us and see that God's grace was behind us. And we can look around and see that God's grace is all around us. His perception is set. But his path is set. He said, and I have walked in thy truth. He is not walking in deception. He is not walking in lies. But he is walking in the truth of God. Aren't you glad that God has not left us without his word this morning? Aren't you glad that we have the truth of the word of God? And David is set in that regard. David is also separated. Look at verse 4 and 5. And verse number 9 and 10 here in just a moment. I have not sat with vain persons, neither will I go in with disassemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. With the, uh, will not sit with the wicked. Look at verse 9. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. David said, there are just some people I don't want to be around. 
Now, we have a hard time uh, uh, trying to, to discern this out, how to be a witness in the world and then how to be separated from the world. How do we, how do we live in the world but we're not of the world? And Vance Habner, I was reading this morning, Vance Habner made this statement. He said, we are to love the world the way Jesus loved the world. And if we love the world the way Jesus loved the world, we will never love the world the way we shouldn't love the world. Let's let that sink in. In fact, I'm going to repeat it because I had to read it twice myself, all right? We should love the world the way Jesus loves the world. And if we love the world the way Jesus loves the world, we will never love the world the way we shouldn't love the world. In other words, Jesus loved sinners, but he didn't condone their sin. Jesus was a friend of publicans and sinners. He ate in their homes, but he was very careful about that. And I want to admonish you, we need to be careful about our testimonies and about what we're around. We ought to love the sinner, but we ought to be careful that we don't love the sin of the sinner. David is separated from vain persons in verse 4. He said, I'm not set with vain persons. The word vain there, I've given this definition before, but just for sake of context, the word vain means emptiness. It means nothingness. It means falsehood. He is separated from this word. I wasn't familiar with that, but thank God for a dictionary. Disassemblers. That word means a hypocrite, one who conceals his opinions under a false appearance. In other words, they say they're one thing, but in reality, they are another thing. David said, I don't want to be around that crowd. He is separated in verse 5 from evildoers. That word evildoers is the Hebrew word for criminal. He is separated from the wicked in verse 5. He said, I will not sit with the wicked. The word wicked there means guilty of sin. In verse 9 and 10, he does not want to be associated with those who are opposed against God. Once again, I want to emphasize, we are to be a witness. We are to be a testimony. We are to be a light in a dark world. But we're not to be like them. We're not to conform to their image. We are to be separated. David is sincere in verse number 6. The Bible says, I will wash my hands in innocency. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord. I note David's purity in verse 6. He said, I, I want to live an innocent life. You know what innocent means? It means you're not guilty. Amen. And don't you want to live a life that's not guilty of some things? I know we'll never be sinless, but you and I always can sin less than what we do. Amen. I'm trying to walk a little more because i got this walking meter on my app, and i got to get 6,000 steps in before the day's over, all right? And i got a little ways to go. But what I'm saying this morning, we should, we should strive not to sin. Amen. Not, Paul put it like this, not to make provision for the flesh. We notice purity, but then we notice path. So will I compass thine altar, O Lord. That word compass means to surround or to circle. In other words, he wants his life to revolve around an altar. Now, what was an altar used for? Two things, supplication and sacrifice. We're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable in the Lord, which is our reasonable service. And as we preached on last Sunday morning and Sunday night, we're to be people that are given to prayer. I hope you prayed this week. I hope that you made a prayer list this week. The Lord had me preach every night at Gateway on prayer this week. And a 10-year-old boy went to his daddy and made him a prayer list this week. The boy hadn't even got saved yet, but he's got a prayer list. Amen. Thank God for that. It won't be long. He ain't far from the kingdom of God. Amen. I'm just telling you though, we ought to be people that live our life around the altar. Amen. So I said, these people that go to the altar every service, that bother you? No, it's the people that never go to the altar that bother me. Amen. David is sincere. David is sharing in verse number 7. The Bible said that I may publish 
with a voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. This is vocal. He said, I'm going to publish it with a voice of thanksgiving. This is voluntary. Nobody's making David do this. David's wanting to do this. May I remind you this morning and make this illustration, if you and I this morning had the cure for cancer, would we not share it? If we had the cure for the dread disease of Alzheimer's, that takes so many, takes so many uh, mentally, they're still maybe well physically, but their minds are not what they used to be. If we had the cure for that, would we not try to, uh, try to share that? But we have the cure for sin this morning. And it is not a medicine, but it is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But do we share it? David's sharing in our text. He is telling others. Verse number 8, David's in the sanctuary. Verse number 8, Lord... I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. I love this. David loves going to the house of God. He said, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house. He said, I'd just rather live there. I love the house of God. Thank God for church this morning. Amen. I thank God for the house of God. I like going to church. Can I run a rabbit real quick? I know somebody said the other day, we don't need to run rabbits when we can kill lions. But let me just run me a rabbit real quick. There ain't no excuse, ain't no excuse for somebody laying out of church to go to a racetrack somewhere or go to a ball game somewhere when it's church night, amen? I, I, I saw they had over 20, and thank God they got Wilkes-Barre's racetrack going again. That's fine. But they had 20,000 people out there on a Wednesday night watching a race. You know what that tells me? That's, and I know people that was there, and they didn't go to church Wednesday night. That's wicked and a Abomination in the sight of God. Amen. That ain't right to lay out of church and go to a racetrack somewhere. Somebody say amen right there. That's not where a Christian belongs. Amen. Amen. That's not where you belong. Amen. It'd be just as wrong for you to go to the race on Wednesday night as it would be if you go to the ball game on Sunday afternoon. Amen. I tell you, we ought to be faithful to the house of God and be committed to the house of God and be committed to, to the things of God. Amen. I don't care if, I don't, I mean, think of the ironic of that, just laying out of church. And by the way, why do we always have to do that on Wednesday night and Sundays? Amen. Amen. You don't tell me, don't tell me the world ain't against the church. David steps in verse number 11. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. The word integrity means genuine. It means honesty. Boy, we're lacking men of integrity nowadays, ain't we? Integrity used to be a word we heard a lot about. A.W. Tozer said, Every man lives as holy as he wants to. Ain't that convicting? Preacher, I'm just not where I need to be. You know whose fault that is? It's yours. It ain't the Lord's fault. It ain't God's fault. God ain't, hey, I'm here. <laughs> it's like him, that older couple riding that old, old uh, Chevrolet pickup truck with one bench across the front. A couple was riding down the road one day, and the wife looked. She's sitting in the passenger seat. He's sitting in the driver's seat. Hey, you've heard this story before, but I'm going to tell it anyway. She looked at him. She said, honey, you remember when we first got married? We used to sit a whole lot closer together. And that old fellow in all of his wisdom sitting there didn't even look at her and said, I ain't moved. <laughs> Amen. She's over there hugging the door handle, and he's right where he's always been. And I'll tell you, that's, that's the way it is in our life with the Lord. I'll tell you, you remember when you were close to the Lord than what you are now? Well, he ain't moved. He's right there where he's always been. The Bible says if you're drawn out of God, you know what he'll do? He'll draw out of you. I say it all the time, and his steps are bigger than your steps. David's steps. Then notice David, stand, David is standing in verse number 12. He said, my foot standeth in an even place. 
Now, we could emphasize that even place concerning the foundation of the Lord, but I love the fact that he's standing. There's a lot of people that ain't standing for anything anymore. But David is standing. Watch it. He's standing in his old age. He's an older man, but he's still standing. David is shouting. Look at verse number 12. And the congregations, well, I bless the Lord. He said, I'm not going to be ashamed to lift my voice in the congregation and bless the Lord. That word bless means to kneel down and to adore. He's worthy of our praise this morning, is he not? He's worthy of our adoration, of our testimony. But I preached all that to get to this. We would look at those things that I listed out in this psalm this morning and say, David, that is a good Christian life. David, I mean, you are, you are, let's run through them. David, you are, you are steadfast. You're unmovable. David, you've got the right direction. You are set. David, you're living a separated life. You are sincere. You're wanting to live around the altar. You are sharing. You're telling others. You're faithful to the sanctuary. You are walking the right direction. You are standing. You've got a worshipful spirit. You're shouting and giving God glory. But watch what David requests in verse number 10. Verse number 1 and 2, number 10. God, David wants God to search him. Watch, watch verse 1 and 2. Judge me, O Lord. Look at verse 2. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my reins and my heart. All those things I gave you this morning are outward. Being steadfast, shouting, going to church, telling others, it's all outward things. But David said, Lord, I'm doing all these outward things. But I need you to check me on the inside. For a few moments this morning, I want to preach on, you need a spiritual checkup. David in this psalm is doing all the things outwardly that we would say you ought to do. And I am for all these things. And I believe the outward ought to be right. But David in his old age, as he's walked longer with the Lord, he's more focused on the inside. Now, there are some people that take this and will say, see, it don't matter what's on the outside. No, the outside does matter because he took ten verses to talk about it. That what you do on the outside, but it should be a manif- matters. But, what hap- but it should be a manifestation of what God's doing on the inside. One of the things I've tried to emphasize is God works from the inside out. And he uses four terms for this spiritual checkup, if you would. First of all, look at verse number one. He says, "Judge me." This is the ruler presiding. Boy, you don't hear people requesting that anymore, do you? Notice his recognition in this verse. He says, judge me. David recognized that God is his judge. And he is submitting to the authority of God as the, as the almighty judge. Now, people foolishly make this statement. Well, only God can judge me. Judge, don't you judge me. Judge not, lest you be judged. They never read the rest of Matthew 7. Amen, where it says, by your fruits you shall know them. That's in the same chapter. What a clinky dick, amen. And so that must mean it ain't talking about what you think it's talking about in verse number one. Uh, And people say, well, only God can judge me. And that's exactly right. But I really don't want God judging me. I'd rather you judge me. Here's why. You can judge me on something you see in my life, but you don't know everything about me. I've got things you don't know about in my heart, just like you've got things I don't know about in your heart. But God, being the judge, knows all. David makes a recognition, but he makes a request. He asks God to judge him personally. 
This is the ruler presiding. His reassurance, he knows that God's going to be honest, holy, and right in his judgment. The Bible says in Genesis 18, will not the judge of all the earth do right? He will. When's the last time you got down on your knees and said, God, would you judge me? Would you, would you be the ruler presiding in a courtroom? A judge sits down and he is presiding, literally, not just of that person, purpose, person's case, but he has, he has control over the direction of their life. You ask God to judge you? Judge me. Here's the second one. Verse 2. Examine me. See, judge me as the ruler presiding, but examine me as the reviewing process. The word examine means to inspect carefully with a view to discover a truth or the real state of a thing. You ever ask God to examine you? You ever say, God, would you please look within my heart and my life? Lord, I've got all these outward things. And you know what? Here at our church, we have the outward right for the most part. We, we preach, we still have this flesh we've got to deal with, but I'm going to tell you, the inward is what we can hide. Hey, I believe you ought to dress right. Amen. I believe you ought to talk right, live right. Amen. Be separated. And I preach on that. We're going to keep preaching on that uh, because it's right. But you can, you can cover up on the outside and be just as wicked on the inside. We should desire for God to examine or inspect our course. What's the direction of our life? Our conduct, our conversation, our choices. Judge me. Examine me. Here's the next one. Prove me. This is the refiner's purpose. The word picture here, the word prove means to test or to try. John Phillips says it gives the idea of testing for reality. The refining process involves heating up gold. And as the temperature would rise, the dross would rise to the top. And the goldsmith would take an instrument and wipe that dross away, that imperfection. And then turn the heat up again. Why? Because he wants pure gold. It has been said that a goldsmith will refine gold until he sees his reflection in the gold. Then notice this. Verse 2. Try my reins and my heart. Now that word reins there, when I first read it, I think it's talking about the reins of a horse. And we understand it can mean that, but if you look up that word, reins and heart, they're connected. It is the inside of you. That deep down where nobody else sees but you and God. The word picture here is that of the Levite. When somebody would bring a sacrifice to that Levite, he would cut its throat and drain its blood. Then he would fillet open that animal, and he would inspect the inside of that animal to make sure there was no imperfections. See, the animal could have looked good on the outside, but had a tumor or had some imperfection on the inside. Jesus warns us against this in Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which was within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are likened to the whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but within are full of dead men's bones and of all of cleanliness. Even so, ye, so outwardly appeared righteous in the men, but within you are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. I don't want to be disrespectful to the dead this morning, okay? But you can get the prettiest grave marker in Rowan County. But it don't, and I'm not being mean, but it don't make the contents of what's six feet under that ground look any better. 
That's what Jesus literally says. He said, you, you make these sepulchers, you make these graveyards look so good on the outside, but inwardly it's dead. There's a lot of people who do that with salvation. They have the outside right, but they've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But then he's telling these scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, he said, you're worried about the outside of the cup, but I want the inside clean also. See, people take that and say, see, God cares more. It, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. And they'll use that. See, it don't matter how I dress. It don't matter how I live. What you're missing is man does look on the outside. That's all we can see. That's all we want to see. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, God said, I want, I want them both right. The word hypocrite, the word picture is those actors, those stage actors that will wear, wear a mask when they would perform, hiding their true identity. Do you got a church mask? Are you one thing at church and another thing at the house? Are you one thing on the job and another thing at church? Oh, I understand. I understand. I don't, I don't mow my grass in a suit. Somebody say amen. I mean, I've, I've, got, I've got pants on, amen. And I, I, amen. And I, and I got a shirt on. I got a hat on, amen. I, I'm, 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 I'm modest. But I ain't wearing a suit and tie. I understand we dress different when we're out on a job and working, but my attitude and my spirit shouldn't be here because I'm still a preacher when I'm out on that lawnmower. What is your, what, are you one thing one place and another thing the other place? What's your radio on this morning in your car? What serious XM channel are you tuned into this morning? If anybody still listens to FM or AM radio, what station? Now, if you get my rap, it's going to be on 1490 Real Country, but that's the radio station I preach on, and I listen to myself on my way to Krispy Kreme every morning, all right? I can't tell you how many mornings before my broadcasts come on, Johnny Cash has been singing before I started preaching, amen? But what I'm saying, what, 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 is, your, what is your life like? You got one set of friends at church and other friends out in the world that compliment your carnality? You ought to ask God to judge you, examine you, prove you, and try you. Why should we pray such a prayer? Turn to Psalm 139, and I'm done this morning. I hope this has made sense. This is literally something God gave me in my devotions. God's been working in my heart this week. And I figure if God got me on it, he might have a word to say to us as a congregation. Psalm 139. Psalm 139. We'll read these verses, and I'll give you three closing statements, and we'll, we'll be done. Psalm 139. Look at verse number 19 towards the end of the psalm. David speaking, Surely thou will slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men, for they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? Am I not grieved with them that rise up against thee? I hate them with a perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. We're pretty good at them verses, ain't we? I'll tell you right now, that wicked crowd, that baby-killing crowd, that alcohol-drinking crowd, that, that, that wicked crowd against God, that, them Democrats that, are, that are, are doing things against God, they're wicked, they're wrong, God's going to judge them. I say amen to all that. David's got that right, and we got that right. But watch where he goes in the next verse. Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see... If there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. You and I have no trouble with verses 19 through 22. But I tell you where we struggle oftentimes is verse 23 and 24. We're good at pointing out the wicked of sin in that crowd, and we should. They'll all be preached against. But watch how David concludes that. 
But God, would you please search me? Why, why should we pray? The purpose of this whole message, number one, is inspection. He said, search me, O God. My, how many of y'all ever, ever bought a house? Amen. They just got in theirs this week. I don't know if they do it. Do y'all have an inspector come in? Y'all had an inspector, and they give you a book of things wrong with that? Not, probably not with a brand new house. If you bought a u- if, used house, <laughs> pre-owned house, don't say used. I mean, it is. We, we bought, both houses we bought have been pre-owned houses. And when they have that inspector go in there before you buy the house, Lord help, they come in there, and they look at everything. Some of them have no idea what they're talking about. The guy that inspected my mom and dad's house said they had mold in their AC ducts. It was just dust on the, on the vents. Brilliant man. Can't tell the difference between dust and mold. Brilliant man. Brilliant man. Hundreds of thousand dollars hinging on him, and he can't tell the difference between dust and mold. But anyway, that's another side note. When we got the inspection, I think on our first house, when we were selling it, because we got a copy of it too, there was one screw missing on a light switch panel. One screw, less than half inch long. One screw missing. It was in that report. Why? Because his job was to look at everything and find everything. Why was he doing that? Because a great price was being paid on that piece of property. And he wanted to make sure that the buyer was getting everything they deserved. The inspector works for the buyer. Search me. Inspect me. Why? Why? There's been a great price paid for me. And if there's one little bitty thing, the sale of that house for the day was not going to go on whether that screw was there or not. But that inspector wanted that buyer to know it's lacking. You see, we focused on, oh, there's a leak in the roof. Oh, there's a hole in the wall. We focused on those things. But that inspector is trained to look for the little things. You know what we ought to pray, God? Would you look for those, even those little things in my life? It's the little foxes that spoil the vine. So the purpose of this prayer is inspection. Then secondly, the purpose of this prayer is identification. Verse 24. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Find it. Search it, then find it. And that's where a lot of people quit. But watch, watch the last clause. I'm done. The purpose of this is involvement. And lead me in the way everlasting. You know what we want God to do? We want to come to church saying, God, search me, try me. God says, okay, I found this, this, and this. These are areas you need to fix in your life. And I've given you my spirit, and I've given you my word, and I've given you a place of prayer, and I've given you the house of God, and I've given you a, a good Christian friends to help you fix these areas in your life. But we never ask God to lead us and fix those things. You know what they'll say? Come on, Brother Matthew. And them reports, they'll say, they even said it on the report on that little screw missing. We, we suggest, he said, I have inspector suggest that a professional electrician comes in to repair this. A professional electrician putting a screw in a light panel. He said, I want it done right. Search me, oh God. Try me. Judge me. Examine me. Prove me. Try my reins. That's a, that's a seldom prayer we pray. I hate going to the doctor. In fact, I don't like it so much. I ain't been since I was 16. I know I need to go. I'm probably dying with something, but I don't know about it. <laughs> now if I go and find out I'm dying with something, then I got depression on top of that. Uh, 
But we don't like going when they check up. Because you know what the dogs going to do? They're going to find something wrong with you. They're going to find something. They get paid to do that. But they're wanting to keep you going. Well, most of them do. My point this morning is we ought to come before God and say, God, would you judge me? Would you examine me? Would you prove me? Will you try me? Search me, oh God. Have a spiritual checkup this morning. And ask God to check out our lives. Let's stand together. I appreciate your attention. I preach 31 minutes. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If God spoke to your heart, these altars are open. A spiritual checkup this morning. Asking God to judge us, examine us, prove us, try us, search us, inspect us, identify the issue, then get involved in our life.